Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's face it. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Every week I sit down for a 30-minute conversation. Sometimes we go over um, with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious, honey. Well, this week I've got a very dear friend, someone who I look up to a lot, someone who has changed my life for the better, the creator of Queer Eye, David Collins. 
Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited for this episode. We have a very major guest. I'm very excited to introduce you all to Mr. David Collins, who is, I don't know if you remember this, but if you watch a Queer Eye, if you're a fan of it, you would see right after the cute little opening, right before it comes to the episode, it says, created by Honey, and then it says, David Collins. <laughs> so you're literally the creator of Queer Eye. I am. So tell us, what happened? You were minding your own business one day, because Queer Eye, the Queer Eye numero uno was 2003 to 2007. Correct, yeah. And so you were minding your own business in? <laughs> Boston. You were in Boston. I was in Beantown. We yeah. love Boston. Where I lived with my husband partner at the time, Michael Williams. Who we also know and love. As executive producer. and uh, So he's an executive producer on Queer, Queer Eye, Eye as well. Yeah, and my uh, business partner on uh, at Scout Productions. And also happens to be the papa to my daddy for Ella and Olive, our 10-year-old twin daughters. So that is a gorgeous mouthful that you just said. So let's just break it down. So you're in Boston in like 19... Uh, yeah, well, I moved to Boston in 1994, and we started Scout Productions. Oh, you did when you moved to Boston? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize this. Yeah. So yeah. you guys started Scout in Boston. Exactly. Well, okay, so Michael came to Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, for Little Man Tate, where I was Jodie Foster's assistant. Yeah, 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 yeah. On Little Man Tate. Okay, I've heard this story. Wait, actually, oh. tell the people this story. <laughs> tell the story. So you're in Ohio, <laughs> and you're, like, in your... Like, no, I was 21. You're, like, in your 20s yeah, in Ohio. Just graduated college. And and you saw, like, on the paper that there was a movie that they were shooting in Ohio, and they needed, like, set assistance or it, something. It's even better than that. So I graduated from Ohio University. Go go go, Bobcats. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Uh Came back to Cincinnati. It was one of those weird kind of like in between times, like, what am I going to do? I wanted to be an editor. wasn't sure. But the local Cincinnati film office said, hey, we're we're looking for interns. So I went to go intern at the local Cincinnati film office. And I happened my first day. This is about luck and timing in life, which we all know a lot about, right? I walked in. The film commissioner's like, do you have a car? Get get to the airport. Get to the Cincinnati airport now. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. I hop in my, like, 1985 Toyota Corolla. The floor is rusted out. There's, you know, barely a back seat. And she tells me, you're going to pick up Jodie Foster and Peggy Reisky. Don't talk to them. Just put them in the car and take them to the hotel. And you're like, in my 85 Corolla. In like, my 85 oh my God. Corolla. I throw them into the back of it, pick them up. And what I will tell you, Jonathan, truly, is that that moment really changed my life. Um, I ended up connecting with Jody and Peggy in the car. Uh, when I started to drop them off, at, uh, Jody turned around, looked at me, she said, all right, I don't know, be here around 7 tomorrow. I was like, wah, wah, wah. So I showed up at 7 a.m. the next morning dressed in a three-piece suit and a briefcase because I thought, okay, I got a job. So I put a suit on and a briefcase, and they laughed my ass off. They laughed at me so hard. But Jody, But you're uh, being a professional. Yeah. yeah I was like, trying to be a little professional. Yeah. yeah. And so what did you end up doing? You were like her. I ended up becoming uh, a, a great end of the story is that she looked at me and she said, you know what, David? You don't have to be a PA. Everyone thinks they want to go to the set and be a production assistant. She goes, if you want to stand around and look at orange cones all day, great. Or you could sit at the desk outside my office and watch the movie go across my desk and learn how to to truly do it. And I ended up becoming the special projects coordinator uh, on my very first feature. So Jody gave me the title special projects coordinator and off we went. Along the way, though, this handsome Italian guy named Michael – 
Williams uh, came in, and uh, I had just come out of a breakup. And it was but wait, wait, wait! I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I have yeah, to ask. No, go. so like, but so she's in Ohio to like shoot a movie. Her directorial debut. Little so she Man was Tate. directing him, and what? Yeah. We'll, oh, Little Man Taylor, but and so and you basically, if she needed to like. Just have like you know something for like one of the writers or something for one of like the stars like just needed what to get something do? done exactly and you yeah. like, grew up there so you knew like the lay of the land and exactly and so then from that you had like a good reference and you had this like this inside kind of understanding of like how to do like a major because Jodie Foster was not she was a major person in in ninety huge, whatever yeah huge. um wow yeah. so then you're minding your own business there when Michael Williams when Michael Williams who is still a tall drink of water honey but in <laughs> but in night I've seen pictures honey and that was yeah not I mean just run me over with your car <laughs> that he was like a six foot one curly haired but like it wasn't long enough to be curly but we knew that it was curly because like exactly wow exactly you guys would have to see a picture but wow yeah <laughs> but so anyway so did you guys meet in Ohio we met in Ohio yeah we and met in Ohio we had our, our first few dates there and the movie came to an end and he he went back to Boston. Did he work on the movie too? Yeah, he was the location manager. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Reisky, the, the producer, hired him from New York, brought him in, and uh, he was the location manager. And uh, he went back to Boston, and he started sending flowers and little love things oh. here and there. And then uh, the funny part is uh, it, it was Thanksgiving time, and he's like, well, why don't you come out for Thanksgiving and, you know, hang out? And I did, and I never left. Oh, my God. That's cute. Yeah. So that's where you guys started Scout. And we started Scout, yeah, in the upstairs of our uh, – the second bedroom in the upstairs of our house. In, in Boston. West, West Roxbury, Massachusetts. Ah, uh, which – is that like an outskirt it's of a little, Boston? a little sub, sub, suburb of yeah, uh, yeah, Boston. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are there, and then it's it's 99? Uh, at this point, uh, Scout started in 94, uh, and Flash – you want to get to the yeah I want, I'm I'm just gently guiding you to that one story that I love. Well, real quick, the company did well. We we kind of became the production service company for all LA and New York. So we would we would take care of all the big productions that came in and out of Boston. Boston. Yeah, we became a big fish in a little pond, which was really nice. But Boston's not like a little pond. No, but in the in the scheme of it, but I feel it like was, in filmmaking, I'm sure because it like it has like such like cool architecture and like it's like so brick oh and cool. I bet it gets used a lot. All the time. People come for the architecture. Michael did Spencer for Hire, Mermaids, all kinds of great projects. And really what you're learning there is like, because I mean, I doing hair for 13 years, like I never really knew. I mean, I did a lot of actor's hair. I've done a lot of director's hair. I've learned, I've learned a lot about a lot of different professions from doing people's hair over sure. the years. But I didn't really understand like what is, like I remember in Game of Thrones, like the third episode we ever did and walking into this back room with Aaron and whoever had been producing it like just didn't show up like our third day. And she was like, I'm not a producer. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, what is, I was like, can I help? I don't. And she was like, no, like you're, a, no. Like, and I was, and, and, and like, I feel like I've basically spent the last, you know, six years learning like what does the producer do like I've learned it on the job like in real time but really you guys are like balancing budgets you're putting out fires you're just yeah. making things happen whatever needs to happen for this production you're producing it you got it so you organize chaos so you were learning the most at this point exactly and that that was you know 
I was young. I was able to do a lot of really cool productions. And I produced my first feature at 26 with Michael uh, at the company. We started uh, our film was called Six Ways to Sunday with Debbie Harry, yeah. Adrian Brody, uh, uh, Norman Reedus. Yeah. Norman Reedus yes. is from, uh, from Walking Dead. From Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 casting really was in my blood back then because we really put together that cast. Uh, Adam Bernstein, who's a very well-known uh, TV director, it was his directorial debut. I actually have a question before this I didn't even know I was going to ask. When did you know in Ohio? Because you were born and raised in Cleveland. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio. So, like, did you know, like, after college that you were like, oh, I think I do want to do filmmaking? Or were you just like, I guess I'll go to this film and, or I guess I'll go to this place? Well, like- OU, where I went to college, was really well known for film and TV. Uh, they had one of the top uh, But before college. then, did you know, like, when you were in high school? Like, no, did you? you know what? I think you and I have talked. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and my it was my junior counselor. Uh, uh, counselor who sat me down and I remember sh- looking at me and she said, honey, I so know you want to be a veterinarian, but I have, th- I have an idea that's not going to be your path. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she said, I think you should t- think about, you know, doing something where you talk and you speak and you're helping, you know, make something happen. I was like, right, what do you mean? And it was through that moment that I realized, all right, maybe I'm not going to go to vet school because I thought I was going to go to Ohio State and become a farm vet. I mm. wanted to do like cows and sheep, uh. right? Like that that was really what I thought most of my life. Because you came from like Ohio, you're like a I, corn. I was at FFA. Do you know that? Future Farmers of uh, America. Oh, yeah. well, ours was called 4-H Club. Well, we had FFA and I was the uh, public speaker for FFA. I believe in the future of farming with a faith born not of words, but of deeds. Oh my Achievements God. Won- yeah, no, no. I did the whole thing. I did soil judging. Uh, I dug down a deep. And did you guys have to do like, did you have to be like, Jesus, we just want to invite you into this soil judging so that you can just bless it for all the people. It all happened. Oh my God. It was, it was, but you know, that's how you learn, right? What you want to do versus what you don't want to do. You're like, yeah, no, I think soil judging could be left to FFA. You know, cause the more I interview people, the more I get to know people. And even like my path is, I feel like I never would have ever, ever thought like, three, five, seven years ago, or even being a fan of Queer Eye, because I was a huge fan of the first Queer Eye, that I definitely just wanted to be a hairdresser. Like, I definitely yeah. just wanted to, like, be behind the chair and, like, you know, not have to have my mom help me with my rent and just be, like, a self-sufficient, like, non-self-harming adult. Like, that yeah. was my goal. But I've kept chasing down, like, the next thing that I was passionate about and learning about, and it got me to here. But I feel like that kind of happened with you as well. Like, you didn't know that you wanted to be a producer or a director or, like, or own a production company. You just kept doing, like, the next job in front of you and chasing down what you were passionate about Taking the next next indicated step, right? Which is really interesting. Because, like, I think if you try to hold on to the outcome too much, like, you're—I mean, maybe you are, like, for figure skaters, because, like, you can't be Mariah Nagasso and not (laughs) want to be—you know what I mean? Like, if you want to learn a triple axel, you got to focus on that. You got to do it. But I feel like just becoming, like, an adult or just, like— growing up in the world, it's like, it's hard to hold on really like have such an expectation of where you're going to be. Yeah. I Cause agree. It, it sets you up for like, I don't know. It's like good to be open. It is. And with my kids, I, I say that to them all the time. I'm like, you think you want to do this right now, but just know it's going to change a million times. But so you and Michael are just like in young gay love <laughs> running around Boston. <laughs> it's cold. It's four seasons. You're loving it. You're making lots of movies. You're like just, you know, really like in your career, like scouts going good. And it's just you two at this point. Uh, and, a, and a partner named Dorothy Offiero. Cute. With, yeah. She's real Italian. Yeah. So you guys are like, you guys, so you find yourself at a, at a cocktail party. Or a party. Well, are you talking about how queer I Yes. Well, 9-11 happened. Oh. Mm. So 9-11 happened in Boston. 
it happened for in all New York, of us, Oh, yeah, right? well, it happened in New York. Yeah. It wasn't in Boston, but, but you were in Boston when it happened. Boston dramatically. Boston's production world came to a halt. Mm. No one wanted to come to Boston and fly into because you know the plane left from Boston. Oh, and, and it oh it, did it? It really affected the the work. In oh, Boston. I guess I didn't realize that one of the planes took yeah. off from Boston. Took off from Boston. Yeah. Oh, and so that did really affect the- it. Affected the East Coast and the work coming in, and we went from kind of rocking and rolling to nowhere, uh-huh. and it got scary. And you know, uh, if if necessity is the mother of invention, uh, that's what happened. Um, <clears throat> I, we had we had been uh, kind of doing a million different things, and all of a sudden, it's like oh, we couldn't pay the bills. Didn't didn't have you know anything, quite frankly. And God, I didn't know that part of the story either, yeah, David. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You left that out at casting when you told the story <laughs> of how queer I started. Well, I, you know, it was a fun part of this is that um, I opened up my desk and there was one of those American Express uh, checkbooks that they send you in the mail that like says basically, sure, write yourself a check for $5,000. It's only 40% interest. Oh, God. And it only has to be paid back in 30 days. Oh. But please write so the check. So it's really like a $9,500, $5,000 or something. I wrote, right. I wrote a check for $5,000. True story. Gave it to a kid in my office who was an e-trader, and I said, "You need to turn this into ten thousand dollars as fast as you can." And I let him go, and I ran and closed my eyes and said a million prayers. And did he? He turned it into eight thousand dollars, and almost I, ten, almost ten. And with that, I built the Queer Eye uh, pitch book. Which Shut up! Uh, swear. So you're so okay. So you're at the. So that all happened. So prior to that, um, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was the Art Walk in in uh, South End of Boston, and it was myself, Michael Williams, and our best friends Peter and Rich, another couple of the four of us, out to have a little wine and so cheese, Sunday fun day, little Sunday fun day, a little wine, a little cheese, and look at art in in the South End, which is the gay area of Boston, and. Uh, we went up the stairs into this upper uh, uh, art gallery, and it was pretty full. There was a lot of people there. And we walked in, we're kind of looking at the art, and all of a sudden, one of those weird moments happened where there was this like weird quiet came over the room. You could just feel it stop because there was a woman berating her husband. And I mean berating, like, look at you, you're a mess. Why can't you dress like this? Look at this, look at them. And she points across the room. Why can't you dress and look like them? And she's pointing to three gay guys who are dressed to the nines, standing there with their glasses of champagne, looking fabulous, right? And they were. And as she says it, and the room's gone quiet, the guys walk toward her and they walk towards him and they push her aside and they say, whoa, 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 lady, whoa. And they surround him and they look at him like, oh my God, no, look at you. And they tossed his hair a little bit and tucked his shirt in. They gave him a pre-French tuck. They gave him a pre-French tuck and adjusted his jacket a little bit. They said, no, they said, you know what? You look great. And they turned to the wife and they're like, Look, he, you just got to give him some confidence. You got to help him here. Don't tear him down. Let's build him up. And I sat there, stood there with, with Michael and my posse and watched this. And as it happened, and this is, um, this is where, you know, I, I take credit and I don't. I turned to Michael and I said, did you see that? That was like the queer eye for the straight guy. And as it came out of my mouth, I had a real epiphonic, true moment where I knew the entire show. 
I saw it from beginning to end. I understood because I had been reading Esquire magazine like a crazy man, and they broke their magazine up into fashion, grooming, interior design, culture, food, and wine. Ah. And so I took those five verticals and built the show from it. But Michael, to this day, he turned to our best friends and teary-eyed, looked at them and said, I promise you, one year from now, something's going to come out of this. Something that David just said is going to come out of this. And they all laughed. <laughs> and, and I looked at him, I was like, queer eye for the straight guy. And I went home with Michael and we laid out this idea of the five verticals, fashion, grooming, interior design, culture, one, and that five gay superheroes were going to swoop in and save the day by one, one, one guy at a time. Ah. And, and that's, that's truly how the moment happened. Wow. 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 We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more David Collins, creator of Queer Eye, right after the break. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. What a place to leave off. What a story. So you guys have this idea. Yeah. You go home and you kind of, pl- you plot it out. Plot it out. I've got chills, just FYI. Like like that, such a story. So then you had the five grand check and you're like, yes, how am I going to make this? because by the way, I have not a penny or bought Because it's, yeah, it's not going, because you had win well, but then like, then, like it's like a whole there's thing. No money, yeah. And I'm like, and by the way. I had no idea how to make TV. We were making feature films. Right. We had come from the the kind of the fun indie feature world that was happening in New York and the East Coast at the time. Um, and, and so for us, feature films was our world. How you make TV, let alone reality TV, unscripted TV. Which was TV. very like – Early, early, early There was like days. real world and road rules and there exactly. was like – The format. Survivor maybe? Was Survivor um, on yet? Survivor had probably started- America's Except Model started in 03. <laughs> and I remember very clearly because Adrian Curry won in 03. Right, right, right. But we didn't know really, you know, what we were doing. But we had started working with Errol Morris at that time. Errol was this brilliant documentarian. And so we had started to learn a lot about how to tell documentary stories, right, and how a doc's put together. So that translated for us. But um, when we were working with him, I had sold our first TV series called First Person, Errol Morris's First Person, to a woman named Frances Barrick at Bravo. Ah. And she ran IFC, Trio, and Bravo. And those were all teeny, teeny little networks on a, on a, on a big cable are called rainbow media, rainbow media owned them. And so I had sold first person to her and that was the only person I knew in TV. So we put together the, the queer eye book and which is a great pack. I've had the good fortune of seeing it in real life. Yeah. 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 The book. Yes, yeah, yeah, You see, yes. it. it's hysterical, right? Like yeah, but Michael it's, was in it, but it's a proper treatment. Like it's like a treatment before there was like digital. Cause like I've made treatments like in like like since like Game yeah. of Thrones and stuff, but like I feel like that was like a treatment before like you did like you didn't you wouldn't have emailed a treatment then like you would have had to print it out. It was like MapQuest. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like MapQuest, but it looked but it was a good treatment. It would look. It really we mimicked Esquire magazine because um, I was a huge fan of Esquire. I felt like the that's how I got my how I stayed in touch at yeah. the time was through Esquire. Yeah, and I felt like it was kind of the the touch point of cool. I wonder if they're going to come for like a seven percent commission on your ass after this episode. <laughs> they're like you owe us in the <laughs> <No. laughs> 
um, but it was it was, and what it did, I actually became kind of in a flash forward known for that book. Um, this is when they used to say people used to buy pitches off of paper. That, by the way, uh, listeners, is no longer the case. People do not buy it's off like, of paper. Yeah, it's like off of you got to do a sizzle reel yeah. and paper and a deck and Some, a format. I bet if you had a really good, I feel like if you had like a really good treatment, and if you were like Tiffany Haddish or something with a really good treatment, you could get it from you the people. You could do it, but but probably and, not. And even you know, I can get away with it sometimes because of of obviously the success of Queer Eye. But I I feel like nowadays you put together the sizzle because the buyers need it. They're, so if you guys nervous. don't know what a sizzle is, like a treatment's like when you want to sell like you have an idea, a deck. She's like a deck. Oh, so that's what they call it to a deck. Yeah, it's a deck. Yeah, which you know people put together PDF or, or put together uh, PowerPoint presentations. It's, it's kind of like a that. glossier PowerPoint presentation. And then give the people the dic- the dictionary definition of a sizzle. A sizzle is kind of like a quick trailer for a concept. It's shorter than a normal movie trailer. It gives you a taste, a feel. For me, trailers need to create an emotion and a and a and a vibe for you that gives you you know it's what it looks, smells, and tastes like. Yeah, the queer eye trailer is like I was I'm like I don't know if you know this, but I'm like I'm there. Like I'm I'm in I'm I see the like I'm there when the trailers are like I'm yeah. there, and they always made me fucking cry. cry. And I was there. <laughs> Like the power of filmmaking is so major. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It can make you feel so many things. Yeah. So, but anyway, you do the you do the book. We do you the get book, the eight grand. The boy almost gets the ten. Yes. And then you call the the. the I call Francis Barrick. Yes. Who is now, by the way, still an amazing major. friend and and runs all of NBC Universal's cable outlets. Wow. Right. All of the. So she's major. All, she's major. Yes. And um and I go to Fran and I sit down with her and I was like, so, I got this idea. Queer eye for the straight guy. And there's just kind of dead silence, you know, that that look in the eye like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? I have no idea what he's talking yeah, about. I get it. Okay. Yeah. And it was really true her her early faith and an idea that I don't really know what he's saying or what this is. But she said yes. But she said yes. From that meeting. Well, here's what she said. She said, let's do a pilot. So we shot the queer eye pilot. And that was shot in Boston. And uh, we cast with them, and that was the original casting. But we, uh, uh, this what year? No, was there? There were six. Well, there was a late muddy penny. We had uh, a female. Oh, that was kind of the Charlie uh, uh, to the Charlie's Angels. Oh, in the original, uh, she got pushed away. That was uh, uh, Rob Eric, who's one of our partners here. Do you know that Rob Eric auditioned? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so. Okay, so Scout was the production company yeah. that still is, and yeah. you had made, and and so, and that was you and Michael, and then that one Italian lady, <laughs> Dorothy Alfieri, who we yeah. love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then when you guys you got the pitch, and she's like, "We'll do a pilot." Rob Eric, this is when he enters the picture. Yeah, he, exactly. He does an audition, and you're like, "Not quite the right fit." However, we love working with you, and then he becomes like a big head honcho. Well, he was Carson Cressley's roommate. Oh, Did you know that? No, I don't think. Yeah, he and Carson lived together. And it was actually Rob who found out about the auditions and told Carson. And they both came to the auditions. And Rob, at that point, I don't know if you then owned a, fa- uh, uh, a skincare line. He, oh, yeah, had, we, yeah. he had created a skincare line and was selling at Barney's and all over the place. And he was all cocky. He's like, oh, I got this. He felt for sure he had it. He's like, I got this. And Carson comes lugging a, a, a Louis Vuitton steamer in. Into his his audition, truly a Louis Vuitton steamer, and it's like starts dressing everyone in the room. Oh, he's like putting it all together. They know like, he has it. You're like, girl, sit. You're it. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
you know what, Rob? Rob is the true epitome of a Renaissance man. He um, he thinks about everything. He's very. I love working with him. I do too. And I I mean, so too. so basically, he enters the picture then, and now Rob is he's a very big head honcho at, at Scout, Scout Production. Oh, he's, well, he's, a, he's our chief creative officer at Scout now. But what he what he did, and people don't know this, Rob uh, wrote, built, and created the original theme song. Which uh, was number one I, in like eighty seven countries. It was, and he he won a a, 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 t- a Grammy for it in Canada. Oh my god! I always forget that he won a Grammy in yeah, Canada. Yeah, 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 Canadian Grammy. Who beat him for the American one? If it wasn't Hillary Clinton, like I'm gonna be so mad. But that probably wasn't like the same. No, she won for like spoken word or something. Oh, maybe she did. She had like she totally. I, I, I but so that's when he came into it. Yeah. And you made the pilot. And we made the pilot, and while making the pilot, um, Bravo got bought mm. by NBC Universal. And everything came to a screeching halt. And we got the phone call that was like, ah, yeah, thanks so much. It was great. But we're not going to do anything with the pilot. We're not going to do anything. You know, we're getting bought. Ew. Who knows what's going to happen. And an entire year went by, Jonathan. True story. So a year happened to the date to when Michael Williams, back when I created, turned to our friend and said, you just wait one year from now. And he was right. One year from now, we had created this beautiful pilot. And in that pilot, we had cast Carson and Ted and Tom and uh, Kyan. And there was another uh, couple of folks in there prior to Jay coming on board. And Jay came on board when the series got picked up, but the series didn't get picked up for a full year. After you made the pilot. After we made the pilot. And you guys are just kind of doing other things. We were doing other things. Actually, we were uh, uh, making uh, the documentary, The Fog of War with Errol. Oh, cool. Uh, Mr. Death, which was uh, another amazing crazy documentary about Holocaust denial, insane, Mm. that we're making. Um, With Errol, that's happening. And uh, Jeff Gaspin became president of of NBC. And when he brought all of the uh, cable companies under his umbrella, Fran was like, like, we did this thing called Query for the Strike Eye. And he did the same thing. He's like, I don't know what it is, but – Go ahead. Well, Give it a shot. I think there's an interesting lesson here, too, that I've never really talked to you about that it's – I feel like the universe is, like, telling me to talk about it right now. So when you pitched it originally to Fran and you felt like she wasn't really reacting to it. Yeah. Like, so you're in the room with her and you have the treatment book. And so – but at the end of that meeting, she said, let's do a pilot. Yeah. But the whole time that you pitched it, you were feeling, like, unsure. I was unsure. Yeah. Because I, I think back then it was pretty radical, you know? It, but t- what did you learn from that in a wider lesson that's not queer eye specific, but just like sometimes when I'm trying to like maybe not pitch a show, but just pitch someone on an idea, sometimes I'll like talk through my discomfort and not let them think or respond, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I feel like you must have known when to shut up and let her say like, huh, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I, I think. Or I did you do. talk through the whole thing? How did that go? Well, I think if if you know, it's been a long time, but I do remember. I'm passionate guy. I'm an enthusiastic guy, and I think my passion came through. I had worked so hard on this and was so excited for. By the way, I had no idea what the show ultimately would do. Right, I really didn't realize the the gift that is the show. Um, but I did know that it was a really cool, unique idea. It was something that hadn't been done. And I, I think my passion sells a lot of things. I think that's it's a big part of who I am. Yeah. Is that if I believe in it and I love it and I want it to happen, I don't stop, you know? Well, I, I love push. that. Yeah. But I mean, to me, like the, the first, I, I mean, the first queer I was so important. Like, I mean, in 2000 and 
2000, 2001, 2002, I graduated high school in 2004, but like that was in Doma and it was very much like, I feel like we were really talking about like my family said to me at that age, like, oh, like, you know, I love you. I just, you know, but marriage is between a man and a woman Mm -hmm. and we're very like callous to the real world uh, effects that that would have on you from not being able to like marry your spouse. Like I didn't know if I would be able to grow up into my thirties and like, and buy a house with like a man I love or be married to like, or have a family or, yeah. or do any of those things. And having queer, I be on at that time, like gave something that literally my grandmother and I could watch together. And maybe we didn't talk about like marriage equality, but it started to creep gay men into a mainstream lexicon that did change minds and it did move hearts. Mm. And so for any, like, cause I feel like when, when our queer, I came out, and any any criticism that I've ever heard of Queer Eye is usually around, like, is it homonormative? Like, is it swooping five gay men to be, like, the fixers? Or is it, um, like, does it push, like, stereotypes? And, you know, whether it is or it isn't, like, I, I get what they're saying, but it's so much more than that because that stance takes for granted how far people have, or how much people haven't been exposed to other people mm-hmm. in so many parts of this country, but really with Netflix, like all over the world. And, and I think that that is really important. And so, yeah, like if you're like in LA and you're like, um, people drive here, no shit. We know people drive, but for people in like, you know, rural, whatever, like they don't know that they drive, like maybe no. they're still on like a tractor. So like some people take for granted, like some of the, some of those things. And I just, it's so that is really so important. It was so important to me and it continues to be so important. And that's kind of what I want to talk about now, which is like, like we could go on for another 45 minutes about like what the first queer I did in terms of accolades. Mm. Emmy's number one song. Like it was, I mean, covers of magazines. You couldn't go anywhere without talking about, I mean, it was literally a massive deal. So then 2007, everyone goes and does their own things. You guys continue to do your own things. Kata, 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 kata. Actually, interesting sub-story. In 2015, Margaret Cho and I and her makeup artist, I we sold a, uh, or we didn't sell, we were trying to sell a uh, makeover show where we were like trying to show like beauty hacks that like celebrity glam teams would use for like just like for like just, it was called like a, oh man, I don't even remember. It was a cute name, but the point is, is that I remember when we were in a, in a meeting once trying to sell it and this guy was saying like, yeah, but like makeover shows, like no one's really doing them anymore. They're really expensive. Like no one really wants it. Yeah. Like it's not really like in, it's not in anymore. Like it's, it needs to be more like hip hop wives or like, you know, right. desperate house or not, or like housewives or whatever. Like, whatever it, the hell's right. yeah, it needs to be one of those. What was like the expectations for you of, of selling the show and, and having it? Cause it, I mean, Makeover shows like after like uh, Extreme Home Makeover, yeah. Queer Eye, and there was re- like there really was. I mean, not that it was a format. And to your point, yeah, it, formats were out of vogue. They weren't, you know, uh, there was, the follow doc became the in thing. Everyone wanted to kind of go. Is a Kardashian the, like the a follow doc? Yeah, the the soap opera of it all. Right, mm-hmm. we come in and out of their worlds. The Housewives franchise became became the thing. Um, whereas, uh, so. You're right. They were out of vogue. It wasn't cool anymore. But what we ended up doing is everyone had always asked us every time I went into a pitch, do you have a queer eye? Where's our queer eye? Bring us queer eye. Like Bring when you go to eye. do a different pitch. Yeah, when but I they go knew to different they- other buyers, right? And they, Did that oh, make you irritated as a creator? Oh, it did. Because I had become like, I was like the, you know, the, the one trick pony. I ever wanted queer eye. And I adore, right? Queer eye is an amazing show. And back to that, the original queer eye. 
those guys, those Fab Five, they they were superheroes back then. They swooped in and saved the day, and then they swooped back out because that was all America was ready for back then. America didn't want to know really who they were. America liked them as superheroes because that was okay. Oh, they flew in, they made the guy better, and then they flew out. That's what the difference is for us, which we'll come to when we get to you guys. I think that's the core difference of the show. But um, everyone had asked me for a for their queer eye. So I get the rights back. The rights are ready. And Bravo's like, yeah, you know, go sell it. So I went to all the other buyers and, and was like, all right, so I have queer eye. Oh, yeah. Um, that's so... Like not Bravo. Yeah. And then we're like, all right, well, yeah, but it's not Bravo anymore. I have it. We could do it. Um, long story short, our our agent said, you know what? I don't know. These streaming things are coming around. Who knows? Maybe Netflix uh, would like it. I don't think they're really doing unscripted yet, but let's go see. So we sat down. This is before any one at, at Netflix was an unscripted department. They didn't have an unscripted department. There wasn't a reality yeah. department. Acquisition. We went in. Sat down and pitched, uh, basically turning the red states pink. Uh, I love that line. Yeah. One makeover at a time. Yeah, one makeover at a time. They liked it. They said, "All right, let us let us wrap our head around this." And uh, before we knew it, they came back and said, "Let's do this. We want to launch all of Unscripted with." Queer Eye. We were looking for an evergreen show that was beloved, that has a good heart to it, and and we'd like to do it with Queer Eye. And right as they said yes, they then started the uh, the team over at Netflix, who took us on, and Miss Jen Levy came on, and who we love Brandon, yeah, and and we dove into figuring out what Queer Eye 2.0, the reboot looked like and what was different from it. And yeah, you know, we had talked earlier. I was scared. I was really scared because, you know. Because well, did you think little... that you'd be able to sell it once you got the rights back and then you came that far and then it went to Netflix, which is kind of like major. So that's like some, it, I mean, to set up some press, that's some press. It's fresh. And, and by the way, we launched Bravo, right? The new Bravo was launched, you know, 18 years prior. Like round two. And like... now it's round two. And what are we doing? And it was scary, I think, because I didn't want to mess up the first one, right? Like the legacy of the yeah. first one was really nice. Yeah. And, you know, my ego was coming out and I was like I want to leave a nice legacy for my children yeah. if I screw this up yeah. and, and it's all and you know Jen Levy says to this day and I, and I love her she said you know this could have been a global eye roll a worldwide eye roll at the second I remember yeah yeah <laughs> she's like because we didn't know yeah and, and in particular with you guys with the cast right like to have lightning strike twice like to be you know I, that's where I was the most scared and Michael Williams and Rob Eric and I really hunkered down and said, look, this is the this is the the opportunity is within the casting. We don't have to cast the same guys. They're different. This is these are there's a new generation of of gay men out there who have stories and lives and histories that they want to share and tell. And and I think obviously with you, that was a big part of how we started to bring you guys together. You each had such unique stories. I feel like I remember very clearly on the second day of our auditions, like uh -huh. when, cause like I, there was like, I think there was 50 people on the first day. And yeah. I remember thinking like, I was talking to someone when we left and I was like, well, they flew all these people in from all over the place. They're not going to cut anyone on this first day. Cause like, why would they waste all that money on like plane tickets and like hotels and stuff if they were just going to send people home. And then I remember that night they were like, okay, it's half, like 25 of you are coming back. And I like, I already had heartburn before I got that phone call. But then after the phone call, I was like, 
oh my God, like this is so serious. And then I, and that's when I was like, oh, I feel like I'm on America's Next Top Model now. Like, <laughs> like the, like the, but like the, the thing in my head was like, oh my God, I, I knew I wanted this opportunity because by that point I'd already had some interviews and I'd already done that, like our little sizzle reel thing, yeah. like for individually. But when I got that close and met everyone and like saw who I would be working with as far as you guys from Scout yeah. and, and having your hands on like what queer I was in the first round and how much that meant to me and like just being in the flesh of around all those creative, all that creative energy in that Glendale ballroom <laughs> was, you know, so major. But then coming back, I remember the first thing that I said that I feel like you, I almost made you fall off a chair because I referred to something as like a Fabergé egg. Like, I don't remember what I was comparing to a Fabergé egg, but I did this like whole tirade about Fabergé eggs. And you like, I was like, oh, I was like, that boy who created the show, like thinks that is funny. Like, I think this is like going well. So, which is leading me to a question, I swear, which was how, like, what did you think? Like when we all got there, like on day one or day two, were you like, Oh fuck? Like, I don't think they're here. Were you like, okay, they're definitely here, but I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to jump to any conclusions. Or were you like, like, when did you know that's like 18 questions in one, but if you but could I just get it, I get it. Um, I think with, again, I was scared. I was really scared. But when I looked out into that room that first morning. I remember you all sitting yeah. in that little room. It was like 50 people. Yes. And, yeah. and, and it was like the I, two and groups stood of- up there yeah. and I cried and uh-huh. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And I heard it. the story of how it started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I knew there's a, I mean, honestly, Jonathan, you, <clears throat> your story and, and, and for me, and I, and I'll share this. I've shared it with you before. I was most scared of you. And I was most scared. I, told me that I have, and here's why: because I didn't. I was scared about a comparison to Carson, and I was comp- scared about a comparison to um, my own internalized homophobia. Of of I grew up in an era where um, you know straight acting is what allowed you to be an okay gay. You can be gay as long as you act straight. Yeah, and that's where I grew up. That's how I grew up. And you had this beautiful energy. And I mean this, and it makes me want to cry because you, you're you, and you're big and beautiful and un, unabashedly and unashamedly tell you, and 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 you tell your story from childhood with your mom. It, that's the reason that it connected with me, is because I was like, you know what? Just because I grew up in an era where. I had to act a certain way and push down my feminine side and put away my who I really wanted to be and could be when I let go. Um, I learned how to be <clears throat> Dave Collins, straight acting guy, straight acting gay. As long as I was a straight gay from Ohio. Wow, this voice. I was okay. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, but I'm that was turned a, on, but, but that I was, feel <laughs> confused and I, I, I get it. But that was a fact of life for, for a certain era. You know, I'm 52 years old. That was a way. That that, but I think that that toxic masculinity within the gay culture is very much alive and well. I think it's getting better. Yeah. I think that it's getting better. For sure. But what about uh, Tanny Banani? What did you think Tanny we saw Bonani him for the has time? one of the greatest stories because we Skyped him prior to the to the real thing and he was in Utah with his Mormon yeah. with his husband living the cowboy life cuz you guys had to convince him more we did have to convince him more cuz he had had some success in his 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 previous which life which this whole story really pisses me off cuz i'm like tan i know once you laid eyes on me you did not have to be convinced i know that you just saw him and you're like oh my god i want to work with him i want to be best best, best, best. but then i actually know that that's not true and you guys did have to kind of convince him which is so rude it is because so we did our interview and you've heard the story baby but he finishes the Skype and i think the Skype Skype's off. Well, the Skype audio is still on. And I go, 
fuck yes no and and he heard it he heard it oh. and so he knew that he had us oh. right so he had the leg up at that uh. point see I felt like I never had it especially because there was this this is like a little known queer audition fact that you guys know there was this boy who like got like a gorgeous like he basically got like an assisted like throw triple sow cow into day two because he couldn't go to day one. Oh yes so I kind of like from when I found out I was like I was like oh like there's already a boy who gets to come straight into the last round like he's for sure gonna be it like he didn't even have to come to day one like I don't even and I was like they're probably just letting me talk this much like wear myself out because they're like oh this poor queen like he's just so excited to be here but like actually we already get uh, but uh, but that's like what I could because I was like oh my god that boy's like totally gotta gotta have a lock on this but that's so interesting that you guys were nervous too we were very nervous and Anthony you know Ted had recommended Anthony uh, to us which was such a great obviously I turned into the drool emoji face every time he talks and it especially in the auditions and it wasn't because of his like how beautiful he is like it's just when he talks about food you see his cash yes he makes me interested in food yeah he's like interested in teaching people about food it's amazing it is amazing okay so back to this question then we're like rounding third base yeah and coming into home so when you were saying that you would go into pitch and you felt like they're like oh you got queer eye like well like spoiler alert like you did create lightning twice it did work out really really (laughs) well you are like a multiple time emmy winning fucking producer and director and so cool but do you feel like you have like you queer eye is not your only success you have done other cool things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, what are the cool things? Like, what do you feel like outside of Queer Eye was like the first time where you were like, I am a multifaceted creator who's capable of doing like several cool things. <laughs> well, I think some of the early, early features, uh, you know, with, with Brad Anderson, we did session nine, which is a great, amazing. If you haven't seen session nine, it's an amazing psychological thriller uh, uh, that, that we made early on. Errol Morris, obviously we won a, an Oscar for the fog of war. Uh, 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 I know uh, Michael Williams uh, up there on the stage with the Oscar. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, Such a cool, cool moment. And, um, yeah, and now, you know, what the success of Queer Eye has allowed is allowed us to now obviously have a lot of amazing projects, a lot of amazing shows. We're doing a really cool show right now, uh, a series, actually, a docu-series uh, with Greg Berlanti and Jim Parsons. Amazing, amazing, brilliant talent. What's it called? Uh, Equal. And it is a four-part series leading up to the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Uh, And it's all the unsung heroes that we don't know about. You know, we know about Harvey Milk and we know about a few others. But actually, we're going back 50 years from this where we see the people's shoulders that we really stood on and, and learn about... The early gays, the gays that we don't know about, Jonathan, you and I, and 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 the ones that truly were breaking grounds for us to be where we are today. I can't wait to see that. When does it come out? Do we know yet? We don't know. It's all. You're still making. You're still making. You're still making. You can't. Like, yeah. can't, can't do the spoilers. I get it. We get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so here's the coming into. Uh, first of all. I already know I have to have you back because I didn't even get to like 70% of the things I want to talk about. So we definitely have to come have you come back. But for the little JVNs, um, Mm. both boys and girls, you're a dad for like the little baby David Collinses out there. Um, what would you say? Because this is like in yoga class. Like this is what we do at the end of getting curious. It's like if there's anything that um, we didn't hit that you wanted to hit, but like yeah, I really wanted to do headstands, but he was just all about Warrior Two today. Like, um, <laughs> but I kind of want to put that question to you through the lens of what would you say to not to do like that contrite question? I hate it, but I want to ask you this one. It's like, what would you say to your like younger self, to the younger selves of like the bullied kids or the kids that had yeah. to shove down their feminine side or shove down their masculine side because they felt that it wasn't like acceptable for them to to envelop their forms the way that they want it to be. Correct. What would you say to them 
leaving this episode of Getting Curious? Oh, my goodness, Jonathan. There's so much. Um, you know, I truly believe that confidence breeds success. And I do I do thank God in my in my world that I, I somehow hung on to some some confidence in myself. And and there's tons of little JVNs and Davids across America. You know, I was the little Southern Baptist fire and brimstone going to burn in hell kid from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I know there's tons of those. Um, what, what I would say to them is, is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stay strong. You gotta fight. You gotta, when you fall down, you gotta stand back up as fast as you can and look in that mirror. And truly all of the cliches, when you look in that mirror, know that you are loved and strong and you're a child of God and you can do anything you want, no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone says. I, as a daddy, you know, I'm a daddy of twin 10-year-old girls and and both of them, night and day. One of my little girls, when she was four and a half years old, Ella, looked at me and she said, Daddy, I'm a girl, but I like boys' things. And and at first I'm like, oh, uh, my own internalized homophobia came out. But you know what? As she's grown up now and I see her and she is an amazing, brilliant, smart, but loving child who, you know what, doesn't fit to the norms. She doesn't conform. She doesn't wear dresses and put her hair in pigtails. She's her I'm own. I'm such an Ella fan. She's her Love own Ella. self. And I'm, and, and, and I'm learning how to be a good daddy, a good gay daddy, when I look at her and realize, you know what? You don't have to be anything other than you. And I love that. Oh, isn't that interesting how, like, you're the perfect parent for your kids? It is. It is. Yeah. And, and by the way, genetics are as scary as they get. Michael and I had Ellen Olive through IVF and gestational surrogacy. And so we have, you know, an insane genetic pool of like little mini me and little mini him. That's just crazy. Uh, it's crazy, but them, amazing. You need to follow David on Instagram because then you'll get to see them. They're so cute. And they're just absolutely the cutest little baby girls. I've had the pleasure to get to meet them. And um, we really have to come back to talk more about that and talk about more about you. I, actually, it'd be really cute to have you and Michael talk about your experiences of being gorgeous uh, gay fathers, co-parents. I think it's like the cutest story it. of all time. I love it so much. But not as much as I love you. Actually, I do love it as much as I love you. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. And also, I'm going to not cry and be emotional now. But thank you so much. Um, oh, my God. I can't do it. Um, you've changed my life so much. And the opportunity that you've given me and um, the other boys on the show. But, I mean, a year ago now, I'm, I'll be 32 tomorrow. Mm. I had, like— I had like, I was so in debt and like, I, my whole life is so different and I have you to think and thank you for not to pull a Jade America's Next Top Model season six quote, but thank you for believing in me and thank you for allowing me to have this chance. And I think that you said something today that is really, really important that we all really have to look at ourselves and make sure that we're honest with ourselves in the mirror when we have this conversation. But your willingness to admit that you like that seeing people like me or, or like can bring up rumblings of your own internalized homophobia. Oh, yeah. We all have to look at that. And yeah. the fact that you've talked to me about that long before this yeah. means a lot to me. And I think that we have to be aware like when we're in a vicious cycle so that you can like know what your part in it was exactly. to make it better so that we don't keep putting other people through this. And you have like, taken a huge roadblock and removed it from my life because there was a lot of people that I have auditioned for and wanted to work with that that feeling that I arose in them like was in deal ender and like you would have never known me right and because you like allowed yourself to process that and like allowed me to have space like you've given me a voice and a platform that I never would have had without your um approval and your acceptance for that so thank you so much thank you Jonathan and I love you so much I and we have to come too. back to more talk about the kids and I love you so much and thanks for coming I love you ah. thanks
Thank you so much for listening to Getting Curious. This is me, Jonathan Van Ness. Thank you so much, David Collins, for being our guest this week. Uh, you can follow David on the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Uh, Quinn, thank you so much for letting us use your music, honey. That song is called Freak, and we love it. Um, and if you're looking for Getting Curious, honey, write us a gorgeous review. Maybe, like, get all up on that Facebook or get all up on that Instagram and, like, Tell your friends about it. But also, honestly, if you're still listening to Getting Curious at this point in the episode, like, thank you so much for just being, like, that down-ass friend. Like, and you know what? You don't even need to put on Instagram or Twitter because if you're still listening, like, how dare I ask you to do anything else? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, thank you so much. And I need to stop asking so much, you know? Like, love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.